This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. It's real simple, you know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. Bear down, baby. That's it. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Haw and Dan Weeder. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome in to the Take the North podcast presented by Odyssey. I am Dan Weeder here today for a very special episode, an emergency podcast, if you will. Happy to be joined by our friend Jared Payton for some big, big news. Chicago Bears legend Steve McMichael is now almost certainly Pro Football Hall of Famer Steve McMichael. Huge news made official Wednesday with McMichael named as a senior finalist for the class of 2024 by the Hall of Fame Senior Committee. And now, barring some sort of cold and cruel twist in January when they take the final vote, Steve McMichael will get his VIP invitation into that prestigious football museum in canton ohio so without further ado let's bring in our guy jared payton to help us put some perspective and and some gratitude and some happiness on this uh on this landmark day jp how we doing i'm doing good dan i'll I'll be honest with you uh, i got chills down my arm because uh, this is it's it's long overdue but i think you know anything great comes you know, it's going to take some time. Right. And when you think about Steve and I think about my memories with him throughout the years of he knew me when I was just coming out of diapers to, you know, coaching me in football in 2010. And our relationship has is, is stayed strong throughout. And and I just uh, I'm, I'm happy for him because the way that he played the game of football, uh, the way that you look at the, his numbers, statistics-wise, especially when you look at the Bears organization where he stands, man, this 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 is this is huge, and I know what this means to him as he's going through this battle with ALS right now as well. This is seeing. I want to see the smile on his face yeah. when 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 all this goes down today. So later on in the show, I will have some uh, audio from Dan Hampton, obviously his, his close friend of 40 plus years, Jimbo Covert, the most recent Bears Hall of Famer. Uh, and one of the things I talked to those guys about was was Steve's kind of personal satisfaction and not needing the Hall of Fame. And he would say all the time, I don't need some gold jacket to know who I was or what I accomplished, brother. <laughs> and I'd always say, Steve, though, if they, if they came knocking, it's not like you were going to go tell them to scram, you know, and you knew that deep down inside that this would mean something to him, knowing Obviously, as you mentioned, this battle with ALS, we were out there in April 2021 when he first made it public. And then to see where it's gone in the last two and a half years, with all that as context, how do you describe the the, the fulfillment, the gratitude, the, the renewed enthusiasm that Steve is going to feel now that he has this distinction on his career resume and his life resume? I think it's, it's like the icing on the cake for him. You know, I mean, it, this is... It, <laughs> It's weird, Dan, because I think about um, the other guys, you you know, you name Jimbo Covert and, you know, Dan Hampton, these other guys that have gold jackets. I know all those guys. Um, 
but the first person I truly knew that like had one was my pops. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I was, I was there and, and I was there for that moment, introdu- introduced my dad, it inducted my dad in the hall of fame. And I remember hearing conversations that he was having that whole entire weekend. And he never talked about it before. He never talked about like, I want to go to the hall of fame. But when we got there, I could tell that it meant the world to him because for football players, Dan, like, I don't know if they aspire like at the beginning to say, I'm going to be a hall of famer. Some might, but when I've had a conversation with guys that have gold jackets, there's, this was, not a part of the plan. It was about playing the game and wanting to be the best that I could be to then hopefully at some point be looked at and categorized as one of the best to ever play. And then that's where the hall comes in. If you, if you do what you have to do, if your resume is there. And so for Mike McMichael to, to, to talk about, yeah, you know, brother, I don't, you know, uh, it doesn't really matter to me. Well, I think down deep down inside these guys, this is what they always want because when you're in, the Hall of Fame in Canton, you are looked at as one of the best players to ever play. And and that's like that's the the top of the top. And so I think for him, this is going to be that moment of all the hard work, the dedication, the sacrifice that he put into this game from when he was little to then playing college to the pros. Um, the chip that he always had on his shoulder, right? I mean, yeah. I was talking to Gary Fentick about that when he came to Chicago, that chip that was on his shoulder and then both of their shoulders. Um, this right here is is really that that defining moment for him. And um, I know in his spirit right now, this is one of those things of, you know, seeing the smile on his face, like that moment when he found out he was like the, one of the 12 finalists and that video that I posted of him with me on TV right. doing my newscast and him like smiling and Misty going, it's happening. It's happening. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting chills again. It's happening. I'm just like, and I could see his face just, just smile. And you know, the right. communication is through winking now. So it's like to know that he could actually smile and man, it, that means the world to me. So I know this means the world to him. So I was out there on Monday visiting with him for a little while, and he's starting to, to, to become more determined in his use of that eye gaze device and the ability to, to, to kind of to type out words on, on that amazing technology to be able to, to form sentences. And I, I kind of joked with Misty. I said, man, you got to get him doing a paragraph a day so we can have this uh, vintage, philosophical, humorous Hall of Fame speech ready for August 2024, because we know and that's, I think, probably one of the most difficult parts about all of this is we know what Steve would want to say, you know, and, and how entertaining and colorful and, and, and imaginative and, and, and again, colorful it would be if he was given the full mic on that Hall of Fame stage in full health. And, and now we've got to just kind of kind of process it in a different way. Hey, Dan, think about this. You know, like a couple of uh, I don't know if it was a week ago, two weeks ago, they they posted a video on Twitter. Someone did just about Steve when he was at the, the Cubs game. He was uh, doing the seventh inning stretch and going after the umpire and like the crowd just he, he always knew how to be able to control a crowd when he was in a room. Yep. It was just it was it was amazing to see because everybody flocked to him. He always had that energy. And Dan, in some ways, I, I feel like I've through my time of knowing him, knowing my dad, like both those guys, they, they had something special about them when they walked into a room 
And for me, I always saw that from the backside looking, going, holy cow, I got to be like this too. I got to figure out, like, I want to be like that. And man, I could only imagine what he would do on the mic. I mean, they would (laughs) definitely have to have the dump button ready because, you know, there was no (laughs) rules, no regulations when it came to to Mongo when he had a mic in his hand. So, um, and he, he hadn't got more colorful as, as time went on, which was cool to me to see like I don't really remember those times of when I was little but then you know playing for him in 2010 and then uh, I think our our last interview or second to last interview before when we were there in 2001 was uh my dad's legends or his my dad's savoring sweetness uh special that I did for WGN and we were out at Mongo's and just like the stories that he told. And we we interviewed everyone, Dan. I'm talking about everyone, all the people that are connected with my pops. Mongo sound bites. It was hard when we were on the edit room floor. Like we didn't want to cut anything out, but we also had to fit everybody else in because Mongo was bigger than life and all the stories like needed to be told. And so you know, I'm hoping that through this process that it, it is his story is told and it's it's done justice yeah. because to me it has to be. Well, JP, I mean, you, you touched on it there because Steve knew that his voice mattered, that his presence mattered. And he knew that when he was with a stranger, that for them, it was a moment. You know, yeah. it was a moment they were going to go tell their friends and family about. It was a moment in their life that they were going to never forget. And he never took that for granted. He wanted to leave them with a feeling like, oh, that was awesome. That guy was everything I expected and more. And you felt that consistently, contagiously, every time you were with him, just that 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 want to be that for the people mm-hmm. that were around him. And it was just so natural and, and, and fun for him. And I think that's probably what the hardest part is of, of seeing him in his current state, because mentally you can tell he's still there. You know, mm-hmm. physically, he doesn't have his presence. He doesn't have his booming voice. He doesn't have that laughter. And you you just know it's just trying to get out in there and you don't get to see it. You said a couple other things in there that I think are, are really worth touching on. Number one, um, Dan Hampton compared him directly to your dad because yeah. he compared him in the reliability, the uh, loyalty to teammates, the dedication to the game, the idea that no matter how broken I am, I am going to be on that football when the kickoff comes on Sunday afternoon. I'm going to be on that field. I'm going to be yeah. there with my brothers. I'm going to be giving everything I have. And for you to have that experience, not only with your dad, but then with him, I'm sure you can draw parallels to that, just that that it, almost inhuman dedication to persevering pushing through pain and, and, and doing what you were born to do. Yeah. I, I, I owe Steve so much because, you know, you look at my career and the way that it went from, you know, university of Miami to, you know, Tennessee Titans to NFL Europe to CFL. And then next thing you know, the last stop was indoor football. And so I was, I had a lot of questions about what I was going to do next. I had no clue what was next for me. And it was a battle. And I think it was it's re- it was really God's plan for me to to be around Steve at that moment because I needed him to be able to help me guide myself through, you know, what was coming next. And just those conversations that we had in some ways, then it was like talking to my dad, or having him in that moment when I needed him the most. And man, I'll never forget the the last 
my last game that I played um, in Sioux Falls. Yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> I we love were, this story. <laughs> yeah, like we we I, I'll, I'll forget that we were going out, and I was the last person in the locker room had my headphones on. And I'm jamming out and I take them off and I hear the shower on and I'm trying to figure out why the shower is on and who's in the shower. And I walk in as I'm about to walk out the door and I see Mongo. He's in there and he's smoking a cigarette and they got the shower on. He's got a can of degree in his hand and he's going, he's spraying it in the air as he's smoking inside. And he's going, okay, now, baby. All right, baby. We got to go get this one, baby. And I'm like, and I'm like, coach, what are you doing? We go out, I pull my hamstring in the first half. And I remember going to the back and I'm thinking to myself, I was going into that game, going in the playoff game, going, this could actually be my, my, the last time that I play football. And that's, that was the mindset. I pull the hamstring, we go on the back. Mongo comes back with us. The trainer's looking at me. One of the other owners is there talking. And I looked at him and I was like, I had tears in my eyes. I go, this is it. I said, I can't go. And I've never, Dan, never seen Mongo cry before. Yeah. He was in tears, bawling because he knew that it was over too for me. Yeah. And I think he knew what that feeling felt like. And yeah. I never had it, never had that experience. And he, man, him crying, I was crying. We were sobbing, like sobbing, and gave me a huge hug. And, it's those moments where now he, like you talked about the per perseverance, the, the, the being hungry to, to stay driven. He was teaching me that for what I'm doing now. And so I'm very thankful for that time that I got to spend with him in 2010 because I needed it. Yeah. I mean, and, and Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. And that's an encapsulation of who this guy was. You know, I've been very honored in my career to have the opportunity over the years to, to, to become close with him, to, to create a bond and to understand that he was much more than this boisterous, rowdy, vulgar guy who told good stories, that there was a deeper level of introspection and, and, and philosophical thought and drive to him that. You know, you, you experienced as a player, you experienced that, you know, in a way Dan, that drove Dan, you, Dan, right? Dan, Dan, if, if you, you just hit something, man, like any, if people don't know this about me is anything that I'm passionate about when I talk about it, like I literally get goosebumps <laughs> and chills all the time. So as soon as you said something, if you didn't take something away from Steve, when you sat down with him, yeah. 
then you weren't listening, you weren't paying attention because Steve would always give you some insight that you could take with you and a life lesson that you could learn in a moment. He always was giving out life lessons, and but you had to listen to him and not like be, and sometimes that was hard for people because of his character and who he was and his charisma. Like sometimes you would get blinded, like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm sitting next to Steve. Like this is Steve McMichael. But then if you sat down and listened to him, man, he would give you gems. He would give you one-liners that would you just go, holy cow, I got to, I got to take that. I got to take that with me. And I remember a lot of them. I keep a lot of them in my heart and in my mind. And so it's funny when you said that too, he was, yeah, he was, he was a real, a wise man. Storyteller philosopher, all but the first time I ever spending significant time with him, probably 2015, 2016, our, our, our late great friend, Jeff Dickerson, uh, who had done pregame with Mongo for a long time and, and had a, a, a friendship with him, took us over to the Hard Rock in Tampa after the Chicago Six had played. Mm. He said, he said, Mongo insisted that, that we come over there and, and just hang out after they're done playing. And it was like 90 minutes of just nonstop storytelling, you know, and stories that we can't repeat here on these airwaves people we'd get canceled in a, in a minute if we told stories from bangkok thailand and uh the pro wrestling circuit and all the things that steve could tell you you've heard them i can tell by the smile on your face right now that you've heard them but it just you know like you just felt alive when you were in his presence and that's um it, it's something there he felt alive when he was on a football field yeah. you know and that's one of the things he talked about significantly and to be on a football field i say look like we go through the stats 95 career sacks uh the three safeties he loved the 33 game balls that he always talked about that he got five time all pro twice on the first team like these are the things that come up in hall of fame meetings and people say okay you know there, there are credentials here this is a legitimate guy who was a a major cog in one of the best defenses to ever play the game but the number for me that always stands out is 191 games played for the bears in a row Regular season, then tack on 12 playoff games. So we're north of 200 consecutive games played in an era where you didn't have this soft version of training camp that we're experiencing right now, where you didn't have uh, the understanding of how to take care of your body, where you it was all grit and will and determination. It is mind-blowing to play the defensive tackle position in the 1980s and early 90s in the NFL and play 203 consecutive games without missing. It's insane to think about, right? Like it's literally insane. Yeah, and, and what what Dan Hampton was talking about that he was always available. And that yeah. that's hard that's hard to do in the NFL no matter what position you're playing and we see it now, you know, every single year when we're covering the Bears and, and covering the NFL. I mean, guys taking, you know, games off and 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 sitting out three or four games a season and to know that you could rely on a guy like Mongo that was going to be there all the time. And I think about with with Richard Dent and Hampton, both guys, I mean, both guys were game changers, you know, and reason why they have, you know, gold jackets. But man, what Mongo did for those guys and 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 really helping them out and, and to be able to get those one on ones and, and take yeah. on the double team and like don't forget you know, about singletary too. Singletary you know? too. I mean, <laughs> yeah. these dudes, they all he he was a big part of the success. Would that have happened without Mongo? Who we don't know that. Probably so. It could have. But what he did and his role on that defense, man, it, it it can't be overlooked. And I think hence the reason why I think people in Chicago are pushing so much for him because you know the people that are older than you and I that were you know 
got a chance to really this was their team like how we are now covering this team dude they they talk about him in a different light and yeah, yeah. there's a, there's a there's a reason why it's because of the way that he played the game it, it's an intense admiration it really is and steve would tell you that you know as as much of a quest as you're on to be the greatest player that you can be that there is a uh, constant fear of failure that's knocking at your psyche. And he would talk about that all the time. The idea that, that it could all be over at the snap of a fingers, if you weren't ready to bring your best every practice and every game. And, and he, he, you know, that wasn't just a, a, a successful drive. It was a fear of failure for him. He would talk about that at length, but along with that came this, just this, this drive and this dedication to understand your role in a team. And, and if you ever talked to Steve about his, uh, quest to impress buddy Ryan and how it was almost Mm -hmm. like a dad that you just wanted to make happy at the end of the day. I think that was another bit of fuel that, that people take for granted on, on, okay. Like that plugged into your soul that plugged into your veins. And you, you were just like, man, like, I don't care what happens today, but I hope when we get into the Monday meetings, buddy singles me out as having a good game. It's, it's, that is, that's a constant when you, when you talk to guys on that defense, like I've talked to Mike Singletary about it as well, about Buddy Ryan and just how much he was loved and people admired him. The guys that played for him just wanted him to say, like, you're doing a good job or that's a good job. Like that would go a long way. And that's what makes it so special. I think we take it for granted sometimes when we think about that 85 team here in Chicago, about how good they were, because it's it's kind of all we know. But when you break it down, you tear the covers away and you clean things up a little bit and you look at it, man, that defense was special. All those guys were special. And so just think about you had to bring your A game every single day when you're around dudes that, you know, you didn't know, but eventually we're, we're, we're going to be in the hall of fame and guys that were going to be looked at as one of the best to play their positions. You, you better, but also too, think about the flip side on the offensive line side as well having to go up against Mongo every single day. Right. How much that made that, that, that in Hampton. And I mean, Jim O'Covert said it like, he will never see someone on a game day that, that pushed him harder than he was being pushed in practice. That is a part of the success of why that team was so good and why that defense was so good. And it's, it's hard because that's why we, I think everybody's pushing so hard for this, for, for Steve is because we know how big of a role that he played on that 85 Bears defense. So a couple last things before I, I cut you free. One of my favorite stories that I would tell him all the time was that I was nine years old when the Bears won Super Bowl 20. And when you're nine and you're just getting familiar with the sport and you're trying to figure out, oh, you just thought in Chicago the Bears are going to be great every year. They were going to blow everybody out, and, and this was going to be the norm. And so Super Bowl 20 – the, the game was so in hand by halftime that I didn't watch the second half. I went to the back end of the basement with my buddy, Tim, and we played football on the other end of the basement, not watching the half. And I'd, I told Steve, I said, I was so bored at how, how far ahead you were that I didn't watch it. And he said, I've heard that story a hundred times, brother. And you know what I tell people that said that they didn't watch the second half of our Super Bowl because they were bored by how much we were beating the Patriots. Neither did I, Mother Bleeper. <laughs> and, so, and so that was that, that that bravado, that gusto that he would always bring, no matter what story you had to tell. 
Um, before I turn you loose, we obviously have to bring this this story into the present day. And and uh, again, you and I were out there in April 2021 when he went public with his diagnosis of ALS. In the time since, he has lost his ability to walk. He has lost his ability to talk. He is bedridden. Um, as you mentioned, he's communicating by blinking, and 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 there's just so little he can do physically. And yet, Misty, his wife, indicated that earlier this summer, when this Hall of Fame push started to get some momentum that she felt him come back alive a little bit, that there was new energy, there was new vigor. There was a look in his eye that she hadn't seen in a long time. So knowing them the way you do, and you can include Misty in this because she's a a character in her own right. How do you describe not only what today's news means, but then what this next year, hopefully of celebration will be as we make the, the, the countdown, you know, 49 weeks to, to the class of 2024 enshrinement in Canton, Ohio. I, I don't even know if I can try to put in the words, Dan. I mean, this is that video that I told you I posted yeah. of her saying like, it's happening. It's happening. Like shouts out to Misty, man, because this has been hard on her. And I think the whole entire family, but when, you know, you're, you're, you have to look at your husband and, and how she's had to be able to kind of take care and her life has changed a lot as well. I think, um, you know, for both of them, I think this is, this is that moment that they both been waiting for. And I think that just to see Steve, you know, have that vigor and that, that, that joy because of the, the acknowledgement that he's, he's seeing him on himself on TV and, and this is being talked about probably around him all the time. It's keeping his spirit alive. And I think for them, this is going to be that time where they just, hopefully they both can enjoy it and enjoy this moment and, and get to that enshrinement. And I know I'll be there. I mean, yeah. I already had conversations and talks. I mean, I'm I'm going to be there in some form or fashion because um, this is something that I think not only he's been waiting for, their family's been waiting for, but I think the whole city of Chicago and Bears fans have been waiting for as well. And so for us, you and I that live in this digital world, we see it every single day. Um, the post on just Team Mongo and people excited. I mean, I think they're more probably even more excited for him you know, because they know that this is a moment he's been waiting for. But I think they're going to truly enjoy this. And my whole goal is, is to hopefully that this really does energize Steve even more. Um, like you, you were literally part of that, that Bears family from birth. You know, it, but I think that, 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 that those 80s teams and particularly 85 made the entire city yes. part of that family. And so that the, the feeling that is in the city today is that, that, that one of our relatives has, has yes. you know, pushed through into a lifelong goal. You know, and, and, and that's why there is that. that these are that, my that, uncles, that, man. Damn, yeah. these, are my, these are my uncles. Man, they at some of them saw me with diapers on running around in the in the locker room and do, ripping do you up. remember at four years old, you know, like what your impressions of uh, 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 like particularly a guy like Steve at no, that I was stage a, of his life? I, I was afraid of all those guys because they were so big, <laughs> but I was running around doing whatever I wanted to do and like. And, and especially in the locker room, the, the one thing everybody says is I used to, they used to have these hot chocolate packets that you could put into the water and they were kind of big and I would rip them and then be like throwing the powder <laughs> all around and stuff like that. And so they would like try to catch me, but I was so quick, man, I'd be running under stuff. So 
just hearing those stories and and remembering like you know those moments and how how awesome those moments were man like i just wish there was twitter and and or x is maybe call not it now. maybe not nah, maybe not maybe not because <laughs> some of these guys might not uh not be enshrined you know what i mean if they do all the stories but that's what made it so special dan is is that we all thought and i think everybody in the city thought that this was going to be something that we were going to see that was going to last for a long time but it was almost like a shooting star and i think bears yeah. fans that's the reason why we hold on so tight to this 85 team and, and and why the guys are so special to us because we know that no matter what happens, even if we, when, when another championship does come to Chicago, it will never ever compare to, to what happened and what we saw in 85. Well, that, that's another thing that Steve said is that he, he said, there's room on the mountaintop, baby. We're not up here trying to, you know, be the only people up here. Any other team that wants to come join us, there's room on the mountaintop. And so hopefully one day we're lucky enough to see another Chicago Bears team get up there. Two really quick last things. What you brought up there about, you know, you wish there was Twitter or X or social media back in the day. So we would have had more uh, documentation. Of this. Well, Steve wrote that book. Many years ago, I don't know, Tales from the Gridiron or whatever it was called. And he said when he started writing that book, he was getting calls from teammates left and right and saying, you're not going to tell everything, are you? And he said, brother, I'm trying to keep us all heroes. Of course, I'm not going to tell everything. You know, and, and it's a, that was a, another moment that, that you know, it, it, it speaks to a, a time, right? It's a, it's a moment in time. And today is obviously a moment in time. And, and to hear him say, you know, I, I don't need a gold jacket. I knew who I was and who I, and what I accomplished. Well, you're getting your gold jacket, big fella, and you're getting your bust in that prestigious, prestigious wing of the Hall of Fame. And how cool is that for everybody that has had a chance to know who Steve is? Dude, amazing. Like, amazing. Because I can only imagine playing the game and knowing how tough it is, Dan, at that high level. And to be able to do it for that long and that consistent, man, it speaks to who you are, man. You have to be a different type of dude when you walk onto that gridiron between those white lines to be able to to be able to say you're enshrined in Canton. And um, man, my hat goes off to him because my respect level for guys like him, like my dad, Hampton, uh, Dent, Singletary, all those guys, man. They sacrificed a lot to be able to get to that moment. Yeah. And um, it's something that it, it it's it's driving me to this day. And so um, the fact that we know another one of uh, the family is going in, it's going to make it even more special. I'll see you in Canton. I, I appreciate you carving out time. It's a, a great conversation. I could keep you all day, but we've got other things that we both need to do today. But awesome, awesome talking to you. Great perspective. Great insight. Thanks for jumping on, JP. Hey, anytime, Dan. Appreciate you. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Huge shout out to our guy, JP, there for jumping on the show, lending some of his perspective, giving us some of his thoughts on what is a momentous day for Steve McMichael and the Bears family. I wanted to pivot now and, and share some pieces of some conversations I had earlier in the week with Dan Hampton, who has been Steve's friend for more than 40 years, and Jimbo Covert, uh, the most recent Bears Hall of Famer, who obviously was a teammate uh, of Steve McMichael's in the 80s and into the early 90s. Both of those guys have incredible perspective on who Steve was as a player, uh, what made him so admired and respected by that group, and how difficult it's been to kind of watch this battle with ALS just keep battering Steve. So for a few minutes here, I'll let those men 
uh, kind of have their voice heard and their perspective shared in a way that, that neatly summarizes all that's happening uh, in the world for Steve McMichael and obviously this, this truly landmark news and this fulfilling uh, satisfaction that he must feel now to be part of that fraternity in Canton to uh, join those two men <laughs> with a gold jacket and a bust in that prestigious museum of pro football in Canton, Ohio. I asked Dan Hampton to sort of share his experiences when he goes out to visit Steve in his home uh, and spend some time with them and, and share that camaraderie and that love that they have built over 40 years and what that experience has been like. Here's some of, uh, of Dan's perspective on that. First and foremost, um, you know, I was the guy that picked him up at the airport 40 years ago. And, and from that time on, we've been um, synonymous. You know, we were, uh, you know, the dynamic duo and, and so much of uh, the, you know, the success of the 80s, right. obviously. You have to uh, you attribute to certain, you know, uh, players and their and their commitment, and uh, nobody uh, signified that more than than him. And so when I go, I would I I, I hate to say it, 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 you know, when you're a little kid and you're seeing your grandparents and they're old and feeble and they're, you know at the end. You, you know, that's kind of the way you remember them. Right. Well, I don't remember him as the guy in the bed. I remember him as the guy that, you know, we were in the huddle and we were having fun on the golf course and uh, playing in the band. And I, I don't remember him as the guy in the bed. And it's... Uh, it's, I, I, you know, it, it's, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, I lament everything and I know, you know, it, uh, it's gotta be just, it, it's incomprehensible what has happened, but, you know, I just, it, it's, it's kind of like, uh, what would you say, uh, you know, I'm torn. I, yeah. I'm, yeah. You know, I'm trying to talk to him and do whatever I can to, you know, bring goodwill. But I remember the guy that I knew for, you know, a long, long time. Jimbo Covert also shared the emotions that he feels uh, when he has a chance to to stand by McMichael's bedside, uh, remember the good times and, and sort of process the present and all that he's enduring right now. I just think it's, it's really hard to you know, describe your feelings when you when you when you go out to see him because you know he was you know he prior he was such a you know strong personality um, and uh, you know such a strong physically strong person yeah. um, and then when you see him like that it's just heartbreaking you know so um, but 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 he's he's still there he's still all there right? and so when you get a chance to see him you can see it in his eyes. You could see he's the same person, and he always had a strong will, strong personality, strong mind. Still does, and um, you know that's the difficult part. You know, I mean, it just must be just terrible, right? When you when you think about it for him. And here is a little bit more on that topic from Dan Hampton. Just it's in, in, incomprehensible, you know, to to be so aware of everything, and yet you can't have 
virtually no ability to to affect it. It's crazy. Yeah. And 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 see, a normal person, they I don't want to say take their physical skills for granted, but as an athlete, you know, we we had to hone ours and. Right. You know, and, and that and that is what is incomprehensible. Yeah. You know, you could go from from you know the, on the you know on the chart, you'd be the very 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 tippy top, and now your you know, your body is essentially worth you know, you know useless. It's just it's a shame. It's just hard to believe. You can really feel the emotion and the heartbreak in those men's voices and their sentiments when they talk about Steve. But one thing that is consistent anytime you talk to, to those guys or really anyone that played for the 1985 Bears is their respect and admiration for who Steve was as a football player. And it wasn't just, as Jarrett and I talked about earlier, the production. It was the, the reliability, the durability, the toughness, the meanness, the ability to turn on that switch and, and affect every single play that you were on the field. And that was something that Steve took great pride in. And it was something that his teammates noticed because it didn't just come out on game days. It came out when they were practicing. And it really was a, a, a cool uh, kind of mentality that McMichael brought every time he got on that field with his brothers. And, and so both of those gentlemen also shared kind of their thoughts on what Steve's presence meant and why he was such an incredible football player. I think there was probably, you know, four four or five years um you know in the middle 80s where i don't think anybody played that inside tackle position better than steve yeah. michael did and and i you know i exclude nobody you know i exclude no one i mean I, don't, I can't think of anybody that did what he had to do and the responsibilities that he had and you know when you look at <clears throat> When you look at what he was able to accomplish, you know, game in, game out, answer to call all the time, um, you know, and and his position just wasn't, you know, inside rushing the passer. I mean, his position was protecting the linebackers so they could make all the tackles. You right, know? right. And the same thing with Steve and and. Um, uh, or same thing with you know Richard and, and Danny Hampton and Fridge, right? So, you know, if you think back about all those defenses that were so successful, right? Um, and you think about all those defenses that had great middle linebackers, right? And you look at you know Pittsburgh, for example, with Jack Lambert and and uh, and uh, Mike Singletary, you know, two Hall of Fame linebackers, but you know they had some pretty good guys in front of them, yeah, yeah. Right? And so that that made all the difference in the world, right? So he was had responsibility not only for you know rushing the passer but also keeping control of that inside line of scrimmage right and that's that was a, a tough responsibility he did a great job there Jimbo Covert went on to describe what it was like kind of regularly tussling <laughs> with, with his teammates and, and the nastiness uh, that was always involved in those interactions no he just was relentless you know and um and just you know that's how he, he 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 practiced like he played you know he only had one switch you know when he turned it on it was on and there was no practice tempo game tempo you know his practice tempo was you know his game tempo right so you had to be aware and you had to you had to you know you had to strap it on when you're practicing against him but i think that's why it made us 
you know, such a good team, right? Because we had to practice against our defense all the time. Right. I just knew that I wasn't going to face anybody better, you know, on Sunday than I was facing during the week. So, right. you know, you know that that was, I think, prepared guys for for you know us at least the offensive line for for uh, you know for for you know games because of that. And then, of course, we have Dan Hampton, one of the men who obviously knew Steve as well as anybody. And I talked a lot over the years with Steve McMichael about what it was that drove him, uh, that made him tick, that, that made him play and practice with the ferocity that he did. And it wasn't a simple answer. For Steve, it was much deeper than that, that there was not only a, a, an intense self-motivation to squeeze every ounce of talent and potential uh, and success out of what God gave him to work with. But there were two other things that were kind of part of that puzzle. One of them was uh, an intense loyalty to the teammates that were around him that created this, this level of dedication that, that was uh, almost insurmountable. And then along with that, Steve would also talk about the fear of failure and how every man, uh, when he would get philosophical, has this, this deep, intense fear of letting himself or others down. And it was that fear of failure that, that um, provided the extra kick in the ass, you know, that, that, that motivation when it was hard to get up where you just said, well, I have to, uh, because if I fail, that's a, a miserable, miserable feeling, a miserable experience. Well, Hamp traced that back to some of the thoughts and, and advice they got from Cowboys great Randy White when they were breaking into the league and, and able to pick his brain on some of the things that, that create and, and catalyze NFL greatness. When he and I got in the league, Randy White was kind of like the guy we looked up to. And Randy was a great guy. And Randy had a quote one time. And he said, a, a lot of, you know, athletics is based on, um, you know, a, a will to, to achieve, but there's also a, a kind of the, uh, a, an un, underwritten rule in football, whereas you're part of a team. And, and so everybody has a niche in a team and you're, you're scared to death that someday you're going to, you're going to, you're going to miss and you're going to, you're not going to be in that niche and somebody else is going to come along and then you're going to be replaced. And whether that had a lot to do with it or nothing to do with it, I kind of felt like it did. Randy White kind of intimated that, that in the game of football and especially team sports, you make this commitment where, yeah, you, you're going to be there for your teammates, but you also inherently expect them to value you because of what you are doing for them. Yeah. That's kind of a, a give and take. And, you know, obviously nobody ever did it better than him. You know, Walter was like that. Walter never missed. Walter was beat to, you know, to pieces, but he'd be in the ice tub. He'd be in there in the training room late at night. He'd, he'd find a way to make it work. Yeah. And it was very similar. And then finally, in a moment as uh, landmark as this is, as, as satisfying as it is, as we talked about earlier, as emotional as it is for Steve McMichael, his wife Misty, his family, his friends, his teammates that played with him, uh, it, it's certainly worth taking inventory on why the entry, the induction, the enshrinement into the Hall of Fame 
is sort of that last exclamation point of validation on Steve McMichael's football journey and in many ways his life because it gives him this 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 absolute validation uh, of all the work he put forth and, and, and what it meant. And I think there, there has been a, a, a strong sense from those who know Steve well that, that the mere possibility of getting into the Hall of Fame as it, as it sort of uh, swelled up and, and, and the hope increased this summer gave him newfound vitality and, and some energy and some enthusiasm as he lays in his bed in his home in Homer Glen just trying to make it through each day with a level of toughness and grace that's hard to summon. And now, obviously, he gets this moment that deep down inside uh, he can enjoy. And this is what Dan Hampton had to say about that. That's what makes it so uh, this is so valuable at this point. How much, how, how much, you know, would it be worth? I don't know, but I'll tell you this. You know, everybody says that, but as you just said, you know, um, it, it, it is in, in in a lot of ways. It's a valid a validation of you know everything. You know, I used to tell. Uh, people you know I, I worked at a trucking firm in college and I'd come home at 10 o'clock and I'd start lifting weights about 11 and I'd lift until about 1 1 30 in the morning then I'd go out on the street out in the country where I lived at mama's house and I'd run I'd run a half uh, three quarters of a mile like pretty good pace and then I'd turn and run back as fast as I could and then I'd lay down on the street in the middle of the road and sweat for 10 minutes you know with my heart pounding like crazy those are the things that you know at that moment you're thinking what am i doing this for why would i do this well it's someday maybe to make it to the hall of fame for steve mcmichael that someday has arrived (laughs) he is now a, a finalist a senior finalist for the pro football hall of fame class of 2024 once again the only hurdle left to clear is getting an 80% approval rate on a vote in January as the entire 50-person uh, selection committee for the Pro Football Hall of Fame puts together their entire class of 2024. So Bears fans, if you are into making advanced plans and you want to save the date on your August 2024 calendar, the first week of August is presumably when the 2024 enshrinement ceremonies will be in Canton, Ohio. And who knows, maybe Devin Hester will be there along with Steve McMichael. Maybe it will be a massive party uh, for, for, for those loyal to the Chicago Bears. I know Misty McMichael talked about having a, a grand celebration. And if you know the McMichaels, when, when, when they talk about grand celebrations, they go out and they hold the grand celebrations. So, uh, again, truly, truly uh, invigorating news uh, for Steve McMichael and his family, his friends, his teammates that have been close to him forever. Just such an incredible honor and so well-timed uh, at this stage of, of Steve's life for him to be able to, to enjoy this, to have this satisfaction, to have, as Hampton called it, this moment in time. Uh, for our producer, Adam Stanzinski, I'm Dan Weederer. Thanks again to Jared Payton for joining us on the front end of the podcast. Terrific discussion there. Steve McMichael, your newest, latest, greatest Chicago Bears Hall of Famer. I'm Dan Weeder. Thanks, as always, for joining us on the Take the North podcast. We will be back with you very soon.